Welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everyone. Today we are discussing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 11, Quidditch. I'm your host, Madison. And I'm Rebecca. And on today's episode, we have a special guest host with us. Hi, I'm Anna Mariano. I'm the author of the Love Sugar Magic series, and more relevantly, the upcoming Quidditch novel, This Is How We Fly. I'm joining, excited to join Madison and Rebecca here today. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Yay! Yay! Excited to have this conversation, especially about Quidditch. So, um, so to start off and summarize the chapter, this is a um, this is a really fun chapter, and some of the last ones we've been listening to have been a little bit chaotic, but this felt a little more like smooth and. Yeah, um, I mentioned the pacing felt really tight in this chapter. Definitely. More intentional. Yeah, mm-hmm. set some teachers on fire. Snape mm-hmm. did bad things as usual. Um, let's let's get into it. Let's start with Patronus fuel, which is something we love from the text. Why? Um, Anna, you want to start us off and tell us what you loved? Yeah. Um, well, since we already mentioned the pacing, I'll start there. The When I read... Harry Potter as a child, and then again as a child, and then again as a child. Um, <laughs> I just, I, it always felt so expansive. The world felt huge, and the books felt so long, like longer than anything I'd ever read. And so it was very interesting to go back and read this chapter and realize how efficient it is, um, because that's not, that's not like a word I normally associated with the Harry Potter series. Um, but, you know, now I'm looking at it as a writer, and I'm saying, wow, so in one chapter we got I'm nervous about the upcoming Quidditch game, so I read this book that Snape steals from me while limping. He's limping. Oh, when I go back to get the book, I find out he's limping because he got attacked by a three-headed dog. (laughs) And the Quidditch game happens, and he tries to kill me. And we set him on fire. (laughs) And then we drink tea. All in one chapter. It's a regular weekday for Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah, like, it it really is dominoes lined up. Um... And, you know, again, like as a writer, I sometimes have trouble with transitioning from important things to important things. I put a lot of filler and then I end up having to cut it. So I noticed all of that. I noticed how the scenes really jumped to what was important. Um, And I was kind of impressed by that, you know, Mm -hmm. horrible people can write. Uh, (laughs) And then the other thing that I really loved, it just like made me laugh out loud. So I have the quote is um, when the snitch first gets spotted in the Quidditch game. There's the line, all the chasers seemed to have forgotten what they were supposed to be doing as they hung in midair to watch. (laughs) So I play Quidditch. I don't know if I I should have opened with that. I play Quidditch in real life. That's why I wrote a book about real life Quidditch playing. And this was just very relatable snitch on pitch feels um, whenever the, you know, Quidditch, Muggle Quidditch, the the, the game that I play is a very chaotic game. Um, We often describe it as rugby while dodgeball is happening and then someone comes on and starts wrestling (laughs) and you know sometimes it does feel like that where you're just like the snitch is on pitch now the game could end we all kind of forgot that we were still playing and we're just watching the seekers um so that made me laugh that 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 little moment that nugget of of gameplay felt realistic i like the part whenever um harry's just like you know like moments from death and Marcus Flint is just like scoring like I think he said like five times or something like that yeah 
I'm just like, yeah, nobody's paying attention, but maybe like you should also concern about that person. As a beater, we don't have like, we don't have a strict, we can go off pitch a little more. Like you're not necessarily supposed to, but it often happens where like the ball will roll and everyone will chase, like the two beaters will chase it. Mm-hmm. And so that also feels relatable of the like, I'm, I'm in danger and the game's <laughs> just going on. <laughs> oh. A violent, chaotic sport of delight. Exactly. <laughs> I really enjoyed, um, I guess, earlier in the chapter when Harry is accusing Snape of having like gone after Fluffy when the troll broke in on Halloween. Hermione is like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really know about that. That doesn't sound right to me. But then later on, when she's looking through the binoculars, when Harry's broom is getting cursed, she sees Snape, you know actually doing the counter curse, but you know, doing something suspicious. And I really appreciate that Hermione like took that accusation seriously. And she could have fallen into a mindset of like, you know, just doubling back on her beliefs that teachers don't do bad things. Um, So I appreciate that she was like, Nope, my friend was probably right. And I need to help him stay safe. And we all need a friend like that. So good yeah. for Hermione. And she was willing to run and set him on fire in like a very, <laughs> uh, very proactive way. Yes. Was like zero to a hundred of like, I don't know, guys. Like, and then she's like, I'm going to go set him on fire. Hold on. I'll be right back. <laughs> Which, you know, I think we could all learn from like, you know, taking in the new evidence and changing our opinions because exactly. that's how you're supposed to act when you get new information. Absolutely. This is a great example for everybody. So be ready to set people on fire if needed. <laughs> I feel like that's when, kind of how like the fandom like recently responded to Jake Rowling because like all of the other stuff she's been doing has been like, and it's like, well, I don't know. She only liked that tweet. She never actually said anything. And then, which is like annoying. <laughs> but um, then like after this summer, everyone's just like, yep, she sucks. Honestly, I'd never made that connection, but like I kind of see it. Yeah, there was a, there was definitely a very long period of really trying to give her the benefit of the doubt um, mm-hmm. because of all these reasons that we wanted to like. Uh, but I just think there's such a it's, a, it's so sad because 80% of the time you can feel that if someone writes something, you can really tell a lot about their personality and you can feel like if I enjoy the writing, maybe I'll also enjoy the human. But like that other 15% that really gets you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the only, the kind of thing that, it feels like you need binoculars to see somehow, which is frustrating mm-hmm. when other people can see it and, you know, point it out beforehand, but yeah, um, take action like Hermione does with new information. And Rebecca, what did you like? What, what gave you, what gave your Patronus fuel this time? I really like just all of Lee Jordan's vibes. I just think that he's fun and he's great and he's exactly a lot of the good things about, Quidditch in this series is that it's just mm-hmm. kind of a fun distraction, but it's also like taken super seriously, and it's just it's just a good time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like his commentary brings you more into the game rather than it just being like kind of like writing that she would do in between of just like Harry did this and then this happened and then that happened. It was kind of fun to have it like through a comedic commentary lens for a little bit. Yeah, again, it's it's both efficient and more entertaining that way yeah exactly Um, you learn like you learn about the culture of quidditch which i think you know we definitely see more of it as we go on um but yeah it's 
It's a really good introduction, I think. Definitely. And I have some some good friends who do commentary and, you know, Quidditch podcast, Quidditch reporting, Quidditch media. So whenever Lee Jordan is is doing his thing, I'm always like, yay, we need you, sportscasters. (laughs) Check out my my teammate Ashton's podcast about Quidditch. It's called Big Man Bias, and it's on all the places. I don't know. It's a podcast podcast about muggle Quidditch. I'm going to listen to that because that sounds awesome. Pretty cool. The watching, like whenever I watched the Quidditch games, like on the live streams on YouTube, the commentary is so much more entertaining than it ever is on like mainstream sports. It's so much better. I think it helps that it's like, it's a small community. So usually the commentators are people who are friends with the players. So they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, that kid, that kid let me sleep on her couch two weeks (laughs) ago. Yes, exactly. It comes across and I think it... It it draws you in kind of in the same way that Lee Jordan's commentary, that familiarity is super important yeah. in Quidditch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how it's just, it's not always relevant, but it's like very <laughs> intentional at the same time. Definitely. So love those vibes. Um, also, we have Detective Pikachu Harry again. He's so dumb, most of these books. Like he makes terrible like reasoning decisions. And then, like, he gets these tiny little clues, and he's just like, this must connect to this, and that connects to this, and that connects to this, and oh, I've done it, Watson. <laughs> and it's just like, where I don't know where this is coming from. It's very fun. <laughs> I have some students who are writing um, creative stories with me right now, and every once in a while, they'll d- give this, like, you know, and then a piece of paper fluttered off the shelf into my lap, and it had the exact <laughs> thing that I needed. And sometimes I feel that way about Harry, where he's just like, and then I stumbled into the perfect, like, the exact moment when Snape said, that darn three heads. <laughs> so we talked about, like, I don't even know, it was several weeks ago now, I think, but Harry made a very rude remark about libraries. And so I think that we were... It wasn't very rude. It was like slightly rude, and I took a great offense to it. That <laughs> way, um, but it's funny because I think we were talking about like we're like Harry doesn't even read. Like, what's he talking about? And now he's just like, I love this book. This is my favorite book. It's incredible, and I'm just like, I'm proud of his growth. And this is why it's very important to find the right book for the right reader, right? Yes. If your kid is really into sports, get him a sports book. Get some get some Mike Lupica action. Or some This Is How We Fly action, I forgot. Yeah, exactly. Very good one. <laughs> Harry would love This Is How We Fly. Aww. Harry's original nerd slash sports culture intersection, which yes. is very important for Quidditch. Oh, He's definitely. Like nerdy detective, loving books, also being a jock. Mm. As we are ranting, let's get into <laughs> enchantingly nasty. Um, keep the energy up. So... <laughs> What are some things we found deeply frustrating in this chapter? So I know we're going to talk a lot about sports culture, um, but there was a line where Wood said, okay, men, and then, and women, (laughs) and women. And I was just like, listen, why did that need to happen? It's the, as far as I know, as far as I've seen, Quidditch is a gender-inclusive sport in this universe. In real life, it is also, and has always been, a gender-inclusive sport. Mm-hmm. So in what, like, like, it would be different if this was something that Dean Thomas or Harry said, because they are coming from the muggle world. But in your fantasy world, where the fantasy sport is gender-inclusive, why would your coach be saying, listen up, men, and have to be reminded that women exist? 
Yeah. Um, Especially somebody who's so obsessed with Quidditch and is so, like, into the culture of Quidditch. Yeah. It's like, you should know who's on your team. You're the captain of it. (laughs) And I know there's, like, it might be a little bit of realism in that, like, okay, so I play Quidditch in Texas and we have coaches and, and players coming from, like, Texas football. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it is hard to get out of that mindset and to remember that you're like, even your vocabulary might be othering some of the people on the team or might be not as inclusive as you meant it to be. But if you're building a fantasy world, like you're allowed to just not bring sexism to your fantasy world. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. It just, it made me a little sad that that line had to happen. Yeah. It just feels like she's just, super trying to get credit for the fact that it's gender inclusive like she just like i just want to remind you guys that like both both of the only two genders are on this team so (laughs) very helpful (laughs) very inclusive wow so inclusivity um yeah so i didn't love that line and then yeah some of the other ways that the uh especially girl players were introduced kind of went with that um, and then yeah. also Snape. I think y'all have more to say about Snape, but Snape, Snape. took Harry's book, and we were just talking about finding the right book for the right reader. And then you come along as a teacher and snatch away the book and take it. Like, no, not cool. Not cool teaching. Not cool Snape. Very bad. Very like and and making up a rule to do it. Not just like like saying, oh. I, I don't want you to have anything that makes you happy. I don't like seeing you sitting out here reading about Quidditch. But like, so I'm going to make up a rule and punish you unfairly. Like, he he can't. <sighs> I, I feel like I, most I, I of don't the have words of like Snape. It's just like you can't do that, but like he just does it anyway. Yeah, nobody's stopping him. He is never. He's allowed he's to literally just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. And he's also a professor. In a school. Which, you know, it happens. Good luck. That's true. It does happen. And it is not cool. And couldn't you have made a fantasy world where it didn't happen? I guess not. Okay. <laughs> nope. Alas. Alas. That, was, that wasn't fun. And I definitely agree on the, like, uh, the toxic sports and athletic culture stuff was a little just a little frustrating to like see an environment that it's like all of a sudden everything becomes so steeped in like the gender binary and sexism and you know I didn't I didn't enjoy that and I mean there's a there's like a some a lot of toxic sludge we'll get through here with Quidditch through the next few sections Mm -hmm. but and even though like I guess like it's not it is very, very coded along with toxic masculinity, but like the the comp- competitiveness to the point that you don't care about anyone or anything. We see yeah. it more in this chapter, I think, from the, the Slytherin team where it seems bad, but we also see it from Oliver Wood plenty of times. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, I've been on teams, British teams, where people are, you know, really just forgetting to be decent humans. Um, not... Not really, but like, you know, getting mad, getting, picking fights with their own teammates, um, putting themselves, usually themselves, not others at, in danger. But, you know, I did get tackled and broke my pelvis because somebody cared so much about the the results of this game that they were already losing. Like, 
Um, so there is that also that toxic level of competitiveness. The like, I think we see that more in later books, but like <laughs> you, you die for Quidditch. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Harry is just constantly in danger and this is no exception, but like he's literally dying and not just like the, the Slytherin team, but all of the teachers who are watching are not doing anything. I mean, Snape's like silently doing a counter curse, but we don't even know about that. Like he never told like people around him, like, okay, I'm going to try and do a counter curse guys. Let's like, I don't know, workshop this and maybe all try something instead of just me sitting here silently, maybe doing a counter curse. Yeah. And it is kind of shocking that like, for example, Hagrid didn't pull out his umbrella and start, I make a mattress. Even though everyone was joking about running under Harry with a mattress, you're wizards, make a mattress underneath yeah. it. <laughs> more about Snape though we find out he's injured which is you know more of our very obvious information for Mr. Detective Harry Potter Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't mind getting injured but I don't understand why he got injured because I don't know why he wouldn't know to not play music for Fluffy unless Dumbledore is just like not even telling the teachers who need to get past the stone to create defenses for the stone that like, Hey, you can get past that three just by putting it to sleep for a couple minutes. They're like, yeah, you just have to fight through that dog just to go set up your, your little potions thing downstairs, but it's fine. You can do it. The whole question of how this got set up and like how Dumbledore put it together. It seems to be another one of Dumbledore's like, I'm going to throw it together and hope for the best type of plans. I'm realizing now, like, as you're saying this, I'm realizing that I had a lot of headcanon about all this that I never thought of. I'm like, oh, but, you know, clearly this was like a group project and Dumbledore was the one. He he was like, submit your idea and I'll actually go down and cast it. But like, we don't know that. We don't know anything. We're in the dark. Mm -hmm. Also, they're like group chat about setting it up. They're like, oh, and what if we have like all these keys flying around? (laughs) But like, and then it gets down to does is is Dumbledore suspicious of the teachers? Is he like, no, you only know your part. I'm the only one who knows everything. That way, it's double safe. I don't know. Unclear. It is, and I I think it'll be interesting going back later on and reading the chapters, especially where they're kind of wheedling out of Hagrid, like, oh, but I bet you know who all the teachers are. What mm-hmm. w- what more information we can gather about how how the heck Dumbledore actually put this together. Because this is a this is elaborate. <laughs> this is a very elaborate scheme. So And is do we again, I I'm I'm my headcanon is blending with like what actually happened, which is <laughs> Honestly, who cares? Uh, <laughs> Cannon is dead. Yes. But do we later find out that that was sort of a test to see like how Harry would do? I don't. Think um, so. I th- I think that might be actually might in or, uh, oh, the no? book, the Irvin's Irvin's book. Okay. Yeah. See, there you go. Oh yeah. Speaking of plug. Yeah. There was a great book. <laughs> yes. The Life and Lies of Albus, Albus Percival Wolfric. Ryan, yes, Dumbledore oh, yeah. by Irvin. Good insight into Dumbledore and what he knew and probably was doing. I, I, I do like that the theory though that like Dumbledore was basically setting up a huge test for Harry in the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's you know it's messed up that he's doing that to a child, but also it makes some of this stuff make more sense. Yeah, as far as like okay, let's see how you do. Let's see what 
comes out of it because it yeah is are these trials for the teachers are these trials for uh, does he already know it's Quirrell is, is it a trial for Quirrell or is it a trial for Harry I don't know right and either way so why all... is it in a school with children <laughs> yep that's such a good question Dumbledore I feel like Dumbledore is like the originator of escape rooms he'd <laughs> be like the ultimate I, I escape like room game master because that through the trap door, man, that would be a fun one to do. That would actually be a really great, like, overly elaborate escape room. Let's set it up. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. We just need like a million dollars. It'll be a really good time. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So let's dive into Accio fandom. And today our Accio fandom is very special because we are getting to speak directly with the creator of our fan-made creation. Um, Anna, can you, in your own words, tell us a little bit about This Is How We Fly? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm, so This Is How We Fly is a novel that I wrote. Oh, I'm on to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's the story of a kid who joins a Quidditch team the summer after she graduates from high school. Um, she's in that kind of weird summertime. She actually gets grounded for the entire summer because of a evil stepmother situation. Um, and so Quidditch is the only thing she's still allowed to do because it's like, go outside and get physical activity. We like that. You're not grounded from that. Uh, so it's the whole summer of, her name is Ellen. Uh, Ellen playing Quidditch, learning how to play Quidditch, learning how to be part of a team, uh, becoming more incorporated into the Quidditch community, and sort of figuring out her life from there. It's a coming coming of age story. Uh, and it's also a very loose retelling of Cinderella. So there is a tournament instead of a ball. There is a missing cleat uh, instead of a missing <laughs> slipper. Um, and yeah, basically it's, it's how, how Ellen's life changes because of this summer and getting into this community. That is a lovely summary and I think that something that you've done so well like we were talking about earlier how sometimes like with a buildings roman it can kind of feel like what's the plot here um <laughs> yep. but that didn't I didn't feel that at all I felt like the way you weaved in the kind of cinderella elements gave the story a really um natural structure especially as it headed toward the tournament um and the way the like this is just going to be me like gushing about the novel for a minute. <laughs> no, so <thank> you. <laughs> like you have, you know, the, like the Cinderella element of like the evil stepmother who keeps putting more, um, you know, pressure and problems as the summer goes along, but that weaved in with, you know, the different romances happening. Um, it just, it, it all, what are the words, the way it all like, the climaxes of everything come in perfectly there at the end with all of the like everything happening at the tournament mm -hmm. it just it's so well done and you especially with like I mean like the time of reading this during you know still in quarantine like <laughs> I was literally crying with happiness as I was reading because Aww. There were like there were so many moments that it was just like this feels so um 
it, it was so nice to read a story that like, you know, you could see so many different like types of person represented in this kind of situation that was a very, uh, you know, you know, we, we all come of age at some point, right? <laughs> we know what that feels like. And to see this kind of story happen for uh, all of these different characters. We talked about earlier, like, you know, we wish Dean and Seamus had had more time. And oh. in This Is How We Fly, we get to see the evolution of, like, I, I don't feel like I miss out on screen time from people, you know? I feel like everybody is getting their um, their story evolution and getting to this place of catharsis where Aww. by the end of the book, you're like, these people have had their transformation. And so all the parts of myself have gotten to have that transformation as the consumer of this art. So yeah. I'm so glad that that came across. I, I love my cast of characters. I love an ensemble cast. Um, mm -hmm. And, but that, you know, it's, it is hard. I was mentioning earlier, like, you know, sometimes you have a side character who's so great, but you're so busy trying to get your main character through their mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so I think that was a big part of my revisions process. And I, I'm really thankful to like my editor and my agent who would always be like, wait, 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 <laughs> shoot, shoot me out. Where is she? And I'm oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Where is she? She's here. We're going to have a scene with her. Or like, you know, I like these characters sort of, but I, can we have like a, like a something to hang on to? And I was like, yes, this character now wears a hat and he's going to wear a hat every time you see him and that will help you keep track of him. Yes. Um, he also wears a hat because he's Jewish, you know, it's, it's fine. Um, it's, it's an important, relevant detail to his life, but it's also just there so you can recognize him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's something that like, whenever I read a lot of like coming of age type of books, like at the end, I'm just like, I get really mad because I'm just like, no, it's over and I need more because like, it's not like finished or something or like I'm missing something. And so just like a bunch of books that I just like throw whenever I'm finished because I'm like, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> And this one, I'm just like, okay, yeah. And so the end, I just like felt like, okay, that's good. Oh yeah. Well, I got. I remember not being sure if I could do the sorry spoiler epilogue in college, um, mm -hmm. because I was like, does that make it like less young adult? But I think it was so important for, yeah. Since the book is a lot about like I can't see my future, I can't really picture where I'm going. Um, that like I was really happy that I was allowed to write that. Yeah, yeah. I love epilogues. I I think that a lot of um a lot of romance novels feel incomplete without an epilogue like mm -hmm. cuz you need to know, you know, this romance has happened, they're together at the end and then you need to know, okay, but like what does that look like? What does the full transformation look like? And this, you know, this is more coming of age than romance, but it was so satisfying to have that because, you know, you, you want to know, you get so attached to these characters. It's important to know, number one, are they okay? They're still yeah. doing okay. And um, what is next for them? And you captured it so beautifully, this like, you know, again, more spoilers, but like they're all, they're in college now and everything that's happened in it. Uh, yeah, it, it worked really, really well. And it left a very like peaceful, satisfying feeling at the end. <laughs> I feel really evil right now because I'm currently working on the sort of companion novel. Yes, the uh, band camp or the marching yeah, band. Yeah, the yeah. So if this was my Quidditch Cinderella, 
this is how we fly is my Quidditch Cinderella novel. My companion novel is Marching Band Snow White. Yes, I can't wait. Um, <laughs> like last week, and we like I- saw that and we were like, oh, we're so excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's actually set five years in the future. So the little sister character is the main character of um, the new book, which doesn't have a title uh, and is not written yet. Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> so I get we get to see Ellen. Uh, just out of college <laughs> oh my gosh I'm so excited and some parts of her life are going great like she's come a lot more into her uh, gender identity which is good and she is still playing Quidditch you know lots of lots of good things but also some not so great things going on in her life so I feel kind of mean <laughs> because I'm like oh yeah <laughs> I just everything is great until <laughs> I did love like the parts of the gender identity like her exploration there just because it was very relatable for it to be like, instead of it just being like, this is my gender identity. I know everything about it. Instead of <laughs> just like, gender's weird. I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about something else. I was like, oh, mood. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like, I, I had from the very beginning, like writing Ellen, this is how she came out. She, and I'm, you know, very intentionally continue using she, her pronouns for her because I know so many non-binary people who still use mm-hmm whatever pronouns they were defaulted with at some point in their life. Um, yeah. Because like, whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm very intentionally choosing to give, continue even in the next book, continue with her pronoun use just because um, it's something that I see a lot of, but she, I didn't necessarily want her to have an arc, uh, like a storyline or even a B or C plot that is like, I will now discover my gender. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, I just wanted her to be in this place where she sees like, hey, exploration is allowed. Things are, you know, I have questions. I have concerns and thoughts and feelings and a lot of media uh, in my head about all of these issues. But it's not necessarily what I'm focusing on right now. Um, and I had people tell me to cut it. I had like a lot of people tell me to cut it from mm. in the early chapters, you know, when she had this moment where she's like, you know, it's so hard to relate with my stepmom and, you know, it just, wouldn't it be easier if I was just not a girl? And people were like, that's a weird thing for someone to think. Take it out. What? Uh, and I was like, oh, wow. that's a great. Uh, Strongly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't, huh. I feel like it's somehow important to the character. I don't know how yet, but I feel it. Yeah. Um, And so, and and then even much later when I had thought that I had sort of figured it all out um I had a really really great sensitivity read that was like oh so the way that she's thinking about this is not doing what you think it's doing um so let's rewrite that whole scene because it's she should not be thinking um in like binary transphobic way or not transphobic but like binary stereotyped ways about like if I was a boy I would be these things because like she might be a boy I was like, oh you're right mm. um so it, it was a long, it was a, it was a whole process, uh, but I knew I didn't want to cut it, which meant I knew I wanted to have to explore it more. But at the same time, I still wanted to be like, this book is about Quidditch and not about like, not that there, there are some really, really amazing like books where the characters are discovering their identities or, or like specifically coming to an idea or a resolution, but I wasn't really looking to write that book. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I and I've ended up I still have some reviews that are like I wish we had talked more about her identity and I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> I think I really appreciated the the middle. I mean, I feel like that's a conversation a lot of people have 
been having more often about their own gender identity. And it's a very like, I don't know, it, it just it felt like a really important perspective that I haven't read before, because when you are questioning that, it's it's really helpful to know that there are people who are questioning also mm-hmm. um, that it's normal to like feel like you don't quite fit in and also to not quite know where you are on the spectrum or off mm-hmm. the spectrum or whatever. So I, I felt like it was a really nice way to do it. And there's a lot of messaging, unfortunately, from the turfs sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but also from the patriarchy. It's just coming at you from both sides. If you're um, AFAB assigned female at birth, um, that is like, oh, you just hate, you know, you just hate being a woman because everyone hates being a woman because being a woman sucks. Uh, right. Like, like, that's not accurate. <laughs> but like, but you can, you can pick up on it and you can just feel that way and you can just go your whole life thinking like, oh yeah, I just hate being a woman because I, because everyone hates being a woman. But like, no, um, I honestly, again, maybe giving too much credit, but I think that might be why some TERFs have trouble uh, believing trans women exist because like like if you're if you would just accept oh everyone hates being a woman then that's a that's a you have trouble yeah yeah so yeah so that was like okay I very little art for Ellen she's mostly just questioning and confused and as one of my blurbers put it an existential crisis on a broom <laughs> uh, which I love. but the one thing that I did want her to like realize between the beginning of the book and the end of the book is that these questions don't mean that you hate womanhood or being a woman or girls or like, it's not just internalized misogyny. That's not, Mm -hmm. and that's not an excuse for the feelings or that's not a, like a reason to dismiss the feelings. Absolutely. And on that note, um, as we're talking about like including these different kinds of conversations and messages, what do you think there was missing in the Potter books that you got to sort of weave into this is how we fly? Yeah. I, Yes, I like the question. I think mostly it was uh, sort of the representation things. I think Mm -hmm. this also is so dependent on when I was writing the book, which was actually 2015, um, when I I conceived of and started drafting and um, everything. So even though it's going to be coming out in 2020, uh, I think that if you squint a little, you can see the 2015 Mm -hmm. soul of this book, um, which was like right before or right during the kind of like uh, all the other wizarding schools, the sort of like, you know, not super cloaked racism uh, Mm -hmm. of those. And so I think that, you know, I always want to write about Texas and I always specifically want to write about like the diversity that is in, that exists in Texas and in Houston that a lot of people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, Houston is, I, I think I say this on literally every appearance or media like promo thing I ever do. Houston is the number one most diverse city in the country. Mm -hmm. And it gets very frustrating to see the same kind of old stereotypes about Texas. I'm going to be on tomorrow. Well, no, not tomorrow. By the time this posts, I'm going to be on several weeks ago um, (laughs) talking about this with another Texas YA writer. But um, (laughs) so uh, Johnny Garcia, go check out Mm. their book, um, 1500 Miles from the Sun. But yes, so there's like a lot of stereotypes about Texas. And so I always, in all of my books, hopefully want to write like a level of diversity that like Harry Potter did not achieve. Um, And 
then also as you know I continued revising all the way up until maybe not this year maybe it was finalized by this year but you know all the way up through 2019 and like doing past pages this year um I also wanted to make sure that that was true for uh gender identity and stuff and again that was built built in from the beginning but I wanted to make it very clear like I think I think the words fuck turfs made it into the final copy I really tried uh because so like you know just every time as JK Rowling slowly got more out more out of touch with the fan like the people who are who exist in the fandom I wanted to make sure that representation existed in my book Mm. and you know it's probably not perfect because life but I did my best there's definitely a lot more than is in most books. Yeah. Like a lot more. <laughs> it's yeah. One of like, I think, I don't know how to phrase it very well, but like it has more representation than like almost any other book that I can think of. Oh, I think that a lot of like the stuff that's coming out right now in YA is um, really great yeah. in terms of diversity and representation and um, on all axes disability and uh queerness and race and gender and that's queerness anyway uh, (laughs) i'm gonna miss an axis i'm sorry religion um so yeah like i think there is a lot of stuff but it's all very very recent and if you're not like yeah reading the books that are published this week it's you're not gonna see it you're gonna see kind of the the same old standards yeah yeah, I think yep. this was like one of the first books I've read that had a character that used pronouns other than she, her, or he, him. Which, like, I know. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I know that I've gotten like some recently that like have characters with like they, them, or something. But it's all books that, like you said, like came out like this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's another long time. I wish you all the best. Which may have been last year, but was you know still very recent. Yeah. Uh, has a, a character, a main character who uses they, them. Um, but yeah, and I, I threw in the, not threw in, that's a flippant way to say it, but I put in um, the, the online character who uses neo-pronouns, mm-hmm. again, mostly in 2015, mostly just because that's what I was seeing. I was seeing people online using neo-pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the book evolved, and it's not like that character is a huge character, but, you know, there's a little paragraph where we get all the pronouns in use. Um and then, yeah, I, I was kind of happy that, that readers were responding to it or that people were pointing it out and saying, like, wow. And I was like, oh, yeah. It's, I was on Tumblr a lot in 2015. Um, and I was, like, reading it. I was like, ooh, I, like, felt like I was in 2015 because I was like, Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. that uh, some, of my, some of my pop culture stuff is outdated, and I had to do, like, a, why am I still on Tumblr? Well, it's because I am a trash gar- gremlin. Uh, sorry. <laughs> like, I, I know a 13-year-old who's on Tumblr. Um, or I guess I did two years ago. I stopped tutoring. Um, but but like they're definitely the outlier. They're not the mainstream kids anymore. Yeah, it's still mm-hmm. like yeah. I think like it's in a good way. I say that it feels like 2015, but um, <laughs> it's just like it because that's also it reminds me of just like being a little closer to Ellen's age anyway. So yeah, yeah. like oh high school oh, Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm afraid maybe the the teens will be like the tumbler what is all this but it's fine like <laughs> it's still know, a thing we, we get the for the kids. we get the idea of fandom if not the correct social media platform hopefully some of the users are on tumblr still right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those kids are doing these days 
the ones the ones who the ones who are into jiffing and uh you know like gallows humor depression memes. <laughs> <laughs> a very specific but like common genre right exactly i think the way that everything is like all of the diversity and representation in the book i think helps make it feel like a more real and cohesive story um particularly like you said because this is houston which you can't you can't walk through houston without seeing you know mm-hmm. diversity everywhere um and and i mean i'll probably talk more about being from texas and that probably contributed to me feeling like oh my gosh i'm inside the story i've been here before um but yeah it just it it, diversity and representation only serve you know when when they're done right and appropriately which i think you did a phenomenal job of like they only serve to improve the story make it more rich and lovely and that definitely happened with this book so um Becca, what was one of your favorite moments from the book? Um, I so I did really like the part I already mentioned about her just being like, "Oh, gender." Oh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I just like, strongly agree. Um, that she got it. <laughs> um, and then I also just like um, I said the spoiler. I'm gonna try. I don't know if I can do it without spoiling it. How much of a spoiler is it? It's a we know it's a Cinderella story, so like there's some parts that we know. Okay, well I just liked whenever she like figured out. I was like, oh my god, my friend's gay. I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Which like I don't know because like I was just like pay attention, Ellen. Like pay attention. There's a um, okay. So I know we have very very for very valid reasons said a lot of mean things about uh, the Harry Potter series today, <laughs> but. I have such a strong feeling that like if you write a reveal or like a surprise or something like that for your main character, it has to still hold up. Like it has to be, if you read it already knowing that it's that spoiler, it has to still be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's sort of something in some way that I got a little bit from the Harry Potter books because yeah. um, they really actually get better on a reread when you know the reveals. Um, yeah. It's not certainly not the only place, but like for example, Frozen didn't do this, and I'm still angry about it. Because uh, if you rewatch Frozen, you still don't see that. Uh, spoiler alert for Frozen: uh, that that Hans is evil, and like there's just no, and you can't even logic out like why he's doing the things. If he's really evil, why is he being like this? Um, I don't think that it's like seen enough. So like, yes, it's a spoiler, but also um, Ellen is just oblivious it's it shouldn't be like yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think I I liked the fact that it was just like oh my god like you're so close you're so close come on (laughs) um and it's also just relatable in the fact that she I liked that her friend didn't like have a huge like coming out she's just like yeah I'm dating this person because that was basically what I did (laughs) I just like updated my Facebook status I was like yeah I'm dating this person (laughs) and then everyone's like oh I'm like okay (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I had um I had some I had a, a friend who had to kind of teach me why the coming out narrative is not the end all be all at one point early in college when I was like writing my first ever little short stories mm-hmm. um 
and it's a, so another thing is with another character with Shumiao, she also kind of doesn't um, come out in the story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because like that's just not it's just not. And again, there are some books that do it really, really well, and there are some people for whom it is the truth, but like it's also not the only truth. It's just yeah, especially for like younger characters too, where like it's okay to not be a hundred percent sure what your identity is. It's okay to just like mm-hmm. date people and like people and stuff without it having to be like in a box. I'm you know, I'm just a stereotype because I keep <laughs> talking about Texas, but <laughs> yay. That's be the, be the stereotype. Okay. Own the stereotype. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's kind of like weaving into my favorite pieces because every single time something about Texas was mentioned, I was just like, oh my God, that is so true. Like <laughs> the way you describe the heat, like every time they're outside practicing Quidditch and the heat and the humidity are mentioned two or three times. And that's not excessive because that's the reality. <laughs> <laughs> like you... Uh. You can't stand around outside. Like, I remember, you know, riding my bike down to Buffalo Bayou and oh it would God. be a, a cool morning, but I would still be, you know, as wet as if I had just jumped out of the shower just because mm-hmm. I'm outside. Um, it's hot. It's sticky. I had in my very first uh, novel, which is a middle grade fantasy novel, if you're looking for some middle grade fantasy mm. to go with your Harry Potter book one. Um, the Love Sugar Magic series. Um, if uh, no, sorry, in that first book, I said something about like the ceiling fan turning off when the magic started because like it kind of messes with electricity. Mm-hmm. And I had a copy editor that was like, "It's November. Should they really have the <laughs> ceiling fan on?" Uh, I was like, "I'm sorry. We're <laughs> clearly from? not from Texas." <laughs> Stet. I think I literally wrote Stet for Texas. Stet is what you say when you say, like, leave it as it is. Stet, mm-hmm. Texas. Like, <laughs> yep. nope. Uh, you don't turn the ceiling fan off until, like, mid-December if you're lucky. If, if then. Like, we've right. had some flip-flops on Christmas situations. Oh, I know. I remember uh, my first year of college in Huntsville. It was 95 <laughs> degrees the day before Thanksgiving. So, Wait, did you go to... I always forget the name of the Huntsville College, uh, but you know Sam that Houston. One. Yeah, yes. I went for uh, one year. They have um, such a good Quidditch team. Um, mm-hmm. My book is dedicated to one of the founders of their Quidditch. Oh team my gosh! Because they, so I went to uh, Rice, which is in Houston, and we our teams developed together. It was like two friends on the Sam Houston in, at Sam Houston and at Rice who developed their Quidditch teams, and we like played each other for several years and were rivals until. Um, oh, that's yeah, lovely. That's because that's not too far away. We used to drive down to Houston sometimes that the year I was in college there. So. Yeah. I was in Huntsville when I broke my pelvis, in fact, for the annual oh. uh, breakfast taco tournament, which mm. is, I don't even know how to begin to explain that name. That's <laughs> uh, great. Reading this as somebody who's from Texas, you write it, you write Houston exactly as it is where there's that blend between the edge of the city and the suburbs oh yeah um, and you know, the whole um the trip to austin which is i love the tournament because i think in 2018 i worked press for MuggleNet for the uh, quidditch world cup out in oh, wow. uh, i forget where it was it was in a little bit north of austin but um round rock uh, yes yeah 
Yeah, Ramrock. I was at that one. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was there in the stands, like tweeting everything. Amazing. Um, but that drive, which you know, the drive from Houston to Austin is one that texans i feel like if you live in houston and you try probably have driven to austin multiple times mm-hmm. but like I've done the, it three oh, times in the past four weeks <laughs> you know all the fields out there just it felt so real and that helped like that helped me escape into the world so much more because it was something like it was like you were it was like i was looking out the window um and oh, then cool. getting to the tournament and like I just, uh, you know, I'll probably read it again very soon because it was homesick, homesick nostalgia accompanied with everything. Um, and, you know, I did start writing the book when I lived in New York and I was missing Houston oh. uh, and then finished it when I had moved back and it was just my life. So I always I feel like it has a little of both, like a little of the nostalgia that you need and mm-hmm. a little bit of the realism. Yes. Of like, yeah, it kind of sucks here. <laughs> yeah. But also, I love it forever. Houston is the best city. Everyone should move here. Oh, yeah. Get some food there if you do nothing else. The food is... You can get any kind of food that you want, and I don't know how that isn't appealing. Yeah, and often fusions. Okay, so I feel tangent-y, so I'm going to go back to our questions. Um, Okay, so let's look at... So there are some... similarities and differences between the culture of the like general Potter fandom and then of Quidditch culture. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on them. Oh, yes. Um, So that was, you know, one of the really fun things about writing this book was getting to capture Quidditch culture, which is not very mainstream and not something that most people know about. And often people make kind of incorrect assumptions about. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, the title of the book, This Is How We Fly, <laughs> uh, is based on this like sort of running joke that if you ever tell anyone you play Quidditch, you're like, what? But how do you fly? <laughs> or, or the more rude version, which is, you know you can't fly, right? Um, and it's like, everyone does it. It's very natural. It's We're not making fun of the people who do it necessarily, but it just after the 58th time, it's just kind of silly. Um, <laughs> totally. Uh, but there's kind of this, it was interesting because even before um, J.K. Rowling torpedoed her legacy and goodwill, all the goodwill we had towards her, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there was this kind of movement in Quidditch to not be as much of a Harry Potter fandom adjacent space. Um, and I, I'm not, I think there's a lot of reasons behind it. Some of it was that the people wanted us to be taken more seriously athletically um and so like didn't want to be like we're a bunch of harry potter nerds uh some of it was probably more of the sort of toxic sports culture and just being like no we're cool we're not dorky like those people who sing wizard rock songs uh those people who sing wizard rock songs are awesome True. Mm-hmm. let me be clear that that was me quoting uh, a toxic person totally uh and so like there but there is like a little bit of you know i was put on a panel once um i think because people got a little confused i was put on a panel about like fandom and fan fiction and the moderator was trying to get me to talk about like how Quidditch was like LARPing and I was like it's oh. not and they, they were like no yeah like because which character are you when you play and I'm like I'm myself I'm 
I'm Anna. I play out for the Houston Cosmos. Like I don't wear a cape. And then they, when they heard that, they kind of just went, oh, and didn't really know how to come back to me or how to circle around or how to change what they had been assuming. Huh. Um, Research. So it was helps with that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was a, like a casual thing, but um, so I, I do think it's funny that, that some people think that it is more like cosplaying or more like LARPing. um, And we're some of, some of the, members of the Quidditch community are like very much pushing to distance ourselves from that and to say like, no, 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 we're a sport. We're going to go to the Olympics. Uh, Like that's the whole goal. We're going to get on TV and to do Mm -hmm. that, we're going to make these rule changes that'll make us more uh, similar to other sports. And like, there are some good sides to that and it makes it a little more accessible. I know I have um, the friend that I've mentioned uh, who does a lot of sports casting about Quidditch talks about how that makes it more accessible. Um, to people who are not nerdy or who people who feel unwelcome in nerd spaces because of their race or their mm, uh, physical mm. appearance or their whatever, like, you know, nerd spaces aren't always as, inc- as inclusive as we want them to be. Right. So there are good parts to saying we're not just nerdy, we're also athletic. But I think that, you know, there's also been pushback in saying, no, we, we come from a book written for children about magic. <laughs> That's the sport we're playing. Like keep a little bit of the whimsy. Whimsy is kind of a buzzword for um, some some groups in the community where we want to say like, yes, keep the whimsy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's always like a balance with in the Quidditch community, and that's why I liked writing a character who had never played a sport, not had never played a sport, but you know, <laughs> hadn't touched sports in a while. Yeah, um, a character who hadn't even read the books. Um, actually, I think hopefully more than one character who hasn't read the books. Although if John's the only one, he's not the worst. He's, he's a little bit of a sports bro, but, you know. Um, and then characters who have, you know, a little bit of interaction with sports, a little bit of interaction with the books, or, you know, any combination thereof. Um, I think that there are a lot of people on my Quidditch team who are diehard die Harry Potter fans. I went to, uh, you know, the wedding of some Quidditch people who I think they both have Quidditch tattoos. Maybe not, but at least one of them does. Um Uh, sorry Harry Potter tattoos and then like the captain of my team has never read the books or seen a single movie he just (laughs) got into it because he thought it was fun and it's a like a way to make friends in Houston Mm -hmm. um so yeah I think we we definitely intersect with Harry Potter fandom we've had uh Harry and the Potters come to the World Cup we have MuggleNet reporting often um we do the Harry Potter Alliance but also sometimes we're just weird athletes with a slightly nerdy flavor. (laughs) I'm curious if you think that uh, like getting involved in the Quidditch community, be it through joining a team or following the sport closer for people who are trying to create a little bit more distance between themselves and like JKR, um, Mm -hmm. but still keep the Potter series. Do you think that Quidditch involvement is a way that people can kind of do some of that? I mean, I, I'm i biased, but I want to say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm biased because, you know, we want the sport to keep growing. We want new recruits. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, what you find in Quidditch is a space of people that are really dedicated to trying to be inclusive and be, like, welcoming. Mm-hmm. And it's not by any means a perfect space. You know, we've had a lot of discussion recently about our inclusivity um, and how maybe we were 
paying too much attention to gender uh, issues and not enough to racial issues because we do do a lot of our recruiting on college campuses and college campuses are not known for being racially neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we, we're, we're doing some reckoning within the community. But like, I think that that's what people really liked about Harry Potter was that it brought people together and it brought people together around this idea of like love and acceptance and community and, and finding this, this certain power of like being a good person and having empathy. Um, it's certainly not the only place you can find that, but I think that that is one of the draws that the Harry Potter fandom has always had. And that's why we're all reeling so much from, uh, recent events. Mm-hmm. And I still think that Quidditch is that place. Um, it, try- it tries very hard to stay that kind of space and that kind of place for people. And, you know, we have a lot of Harry Potter fans. So yeah. if you want to but find a team and hang out. I don't think it will necessarily be like, um, you know, you will end up not just doing book related stuff. You will end up finding this whole other subculture. But I think it's a really fun subculture. And if you enjoy the Harry Potter fandom world, you will probably enjoy the Quidditch world, at least to some degree. That's lovely. And it speaks to the, the, the sort of intersection in that, like, there are some, there are definitely places in fandom that aren't great. Like you said, there are Mm -hmm. a lot of parts of nerdy culture that are not necessarily safe for people um, of, you know, who have any kind of marginalized identity, race, uh, gender identity, all of the different axes. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is a kind of, parallel uh symphony of acceptance i guess that has evolved in some spots and it's always it's always funny to think that something that these really accepting communities that are you know working and trying to do the right thing can arise from uh the creation of somebody who is not doing that same thing so yeah ha (laughs) Uh, Take that, bigots. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to the Department of Social Justice, where we dive into all of the identity politics, house politics, etc. Um, hmm. We've got a lot in this section, so buckle up, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like we've been, you know, the Department of Social Justice has really had its fingers in all of our talk. <laughs> yes. As it should, yeah. As it should be. Um, yeah, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the shallowness of some of the girl power stuff, quote unquote girl power that was happening in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, both There was like the Hermione has become good now. Not that she wasn't good before, but she's like, oh, she's so much nicer now that she's relaxed and will do our homework for us um which is a little annoying and she just is just her role is very much serving harry Mm -hmm. um throughout this whole chapter even when she kind of almost gets her own perspective um which is unusual because usually we're all in harry's perspective but we actually follow hermione to go set that fire um but she's really not doesn't get a lot of like perspective or agency even in that moment she's just doing this thing Mm -hmm. to serve harry and help him um and then also the, I mean, while we do love Lee Jordan's commentary, when he was introducing the Gryffindor gals, uh, all the, the chasers, because they're all chasers, right? It's weird. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, women can't be beaters, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's too violent for their subtle, delicate. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
the the comments that he makes for every time one of them is introduced. So it's like, you know, Angelina Johnson? I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm bad with names sometimes. Yeah. He's like, she's attractive. I'm like, okay, she's playing a sport right now. Yeah. Hold on to mm-hmm. the hear. Yeah. And then when he says something about Alicia Spinnett, mm-hmm. he says, oh, what a good find by Oliver Wood. Like, <laughs> it's it's like the definition of like, ac- like accidentally on purpose giving all the credit to a guy when mm. a woman is doing the thing. Yeah. Because presumably wow. she tried out too. It's not like he just like yes, found I her know. like practicing and she's like, right. Like, it's not like he was like out scouting all these people. Like she tried out yeah, the team and she was good. So he put her on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, yeah, exactly. No one says that Harry was a good find by Oliver Wood. They're like, Harry's really talented. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Katie, poor Katie, she gets a nice moment and immediately takes a bludger to the face. Um, and it's, you know, it's not that any of these things are bad. I've certainly taken bludgers to the face. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't make me any, like a bad player. But like just the fact that all three of them got introduced in this particular, these particular sort of like, it's empowering to see them. And then they immediately get undercut. Yeah. Uh, was sort of frustrating. Um, and then I'm not like, I, you know not the ideal person to speak on this, but I also felt a little weird about the fact that uh, Lee Jordan, one of our few black male characters, was catcalling one of our few black female characters. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he wasn't, like, catcalling to her, but, like, in front of everyone while she was playing, going, like, oh, she's attractive, just, like, in a kind of appropriate context. Like, that was a a whole series of choices that J.K. Rowling made, um, and I just wish she had made different choices. Mm-hmm. With all the issues she's had, you can't <laughs> right. eliminate the possibility that this is, you know, not just a coincidence that right. there's some, um, the, you know, making, you know, misogynoir, making black women be the victims, and then also having Lee Jordan be the one who is being toxic. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a lot of choices. Yeah. Yeah. Another choice that she made that I did not like was um, Marcus Flint is described as looking like a troll and this is supposed to tell us i guess that he's aggressive um and you know there's not really a lot of nuanced commentary about race throughout the series and we're supposed to use the metaphor of magical beings and you know blood purity and so all sorts of messed up yeah and you know just applying this blanket trait of if you are like a troll, you must be aggressive and violent, you know, not. And doesn't it literally say he looks like he has troll blood? Yeah. 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 Like it's not. Yeah. It just makes it kind of feel like it's supposed to be racial. but Yeah. Right. And especially because like we know and, and like the books kind of try to show that it's not totally right with Hagrid, but like we see Hagrid facing all sorts of. Uh, like bullshit prejudice mm-hmm. and um, and the what's her name, Madam? Yeah, yes. Madam Maxine. Mm-hmm. Maxine. Yeah, she has the same yeah. Um, so then to like just have Harry really casually throw it out as an insult in his head is kind of frustrating. Because mm-hmm. um, he just started school. It's November now, so he's been he's known he's a wizard for like what three months now, and already he's <laughs> got like magical racism somehow. <laughs> well, I mean, they do say, you know, kids pick up 
on yeah. the racism in society really fast, but like not that fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. It's so that's that's not fun. That's gross. Uh, something interesting that is a little less nasty and more just like an observation that um in the books um Quidditch really seems to contribute to like some of the conflict between all of the houses. Um, like it creates more tension because they're competing against each other in Quidditch and that connects to the house cup. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this is how we fly. And I, I think potentially by extension to like, you know, the rest of real Quidditch, mm-hmm. the, it seems like there is much more of a like bonds and friendliness and unity created in Quidditch in real life than in the books, yeah. which is interesting. It was so cool. It's so cool that you pointed that out. Cause I didn't really think about it. Um, as something I was doing opposite to the books but yeah um, I I do feel like even if they have like a little rivalry or a little bit of like we want to beat this team you know at the end of the day the people who are playing Quidditch are they probably are going to be friends with you because you have a lot in common because you're in existing in this very weird subculture um, so yeah and it's I also went to a, a college that had a university I guess that had um, residential colleges, basically like houses, the way that Oxford, is it Oxford does? Mm -hmm. Um, and like, that was my experience there too, is that we didn't hate the other colleges, like (laughs) the other dorms. Um, we just, it was just fun to like kind of tease them. And then at the end of the day, we all felt better about it. So yeah, the Harry Potter, uh, yeah, Hogwarts definitely has some like toxic (laughs) tensions between the houses. Oh yeah. That's what happens when you put all the evil people into one house. I actually did have some like rivalries against some of the other like departments at my school though because I got put in a group project with some other people I was like I fucking hate oh no like everyone in this game design program I hate them and they can all just (laughs) disappear they just um, yep I got very got very anti-game design program in that school and I don't know why it was very weird (laughs) rivalry to start Group projects never. Yeah, help group anything. projects more than group competitions will yeah. probably ruin That'll, relationships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Don't worry, guys, I got this." I just like made an entire website in like two days, and I was just like, "Let me just put your names on it. Don't touch it, please." <laughs> <laughs> I know you have stuff to say about Ron. <laughs> I do. So, okay, so we talked a little bit about like how Hermione is being used as like development for Harry basically and she's just only became useful whenever she could do homework um but it literally says in the chapter that like Harry was really lucky to have her as a friend and then it's because she was able to help him with all of his homework and it's not like Harry was lucky to have her as a friend she was really cool she was very smart she could do all these cool things she can summon fire like as an 11 year old Mm -hmm. like that's very impressive um because like elemental magic is like I don't know outside of Harry Potter that's like known as like more difficult to just summon flame yeah but um i don't know what jake Rowling's magical education is as far as if she intended for that to be as difficult as it usually is or not um but like rather than saying like he was lucky ever as a friend because she was really smart and she was really like interesting and had like knew about all these cool things it was just because she was helping him with his own work mm-hmm. and that was gross and then ron is still like even after they like kind of bonded over the fact that like he felt bad for having her get almost killed because she was crying in a bathroom because of something that he said. He's still like snapping at her for dumb things. 
And I just, mm-hmm. I don't get that. Like, when he, sa- he says the line about, like, well, you think all teachers are saints. Yeah. I'm just like, that's yeah. not what she's saying. Like, she just said mm-hmm. that, like, maybe he's not actively trying to kill a student, which <laughs> is very different. <laughs> and by the way, she's right. She is right. Mm-hmm. Like, Snape is not trying to kill students. He's a bully, but he's not trying to kill students. And she does, like, do a quick turnaround whenever she does think he's right. Then she immediately is just like, okay, you're right. I'm going to go light him on fire one second. Which is more than Ron can say. Because he's just like, mm-hmm. no, you're wrong. Screw you. And snaps at her. Like, yeah, Hermione is just she's much more mature in her responses. And she's mm-hmm. just a great character. And she's treated, like... Just an afterthought, and it's very sad. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of uh, what makes Hermione great is what we bring to the books, and we recognize mm-hmm. so much of, like, her potential. Yeah. But then it's, frust- it's frustrating to then see, like, eh, actually, it wasn't really necessary. That's how I feel about Ginny. That's a whole rant for another day. Um, <laughs> is that, like, Ginny is really cool if you read between the lines that don't give her any coolness. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's just, there's, like... All of the backstory that we get and, like, the, like, actual interesting information you can kind of develop from is about, like, the male characters in general. Mm-hmm. Like, you get information about Dumbledore, you get information about Snape, you get information about Dean Thomas, you get information about, like, Seamus and stuff. And, like, what do we know about Hermione's life outside of Hogwarts other than her parents are dentists? Yeah, that's it. Like, we literally know more about Dean Thomas's family than we do about Hermione's. Yeah, and we don't even know like that much about Dean Thomas's family. <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's so frustrating, especially to see her now be like, "I'm just a feminist, and that's why I'm saying all these things." It's like, well, you're not even a good feminist <laughs> on top of being a turf. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yep, I'm just that is a garbage. I'm perpetually mad about her calling it feminism. <laughs> Ugh. I'm like you're a really bad feminist for this to be your argument is that you're a feminist anger <laughs> and now that we've worked ourselves up to a range <laughs> chocolate <laughs> perfect perfect segue what we move into oh man do with some chocolate so a lot to a lot to process in this chapter a lot of dramatic things happened <laughs> Well, I liked that we got to see Harry be anxious. I think we maybe one of y'all is going to talk about how um, a lot of times Harry just handles everything like a champ mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. the time. Um, and he, he not that he didn't, but we got to see some of his anxiety and he sort of was like, oh, the, the Quidditch tournament's coming up. I'm nervous. I don't know if I'm going to, uh, it's kind of scary. And, you know, it would have been great if we could have seen teachers or adults actually notice and help or do anything useful and not steal his book. But... <laughs> Um, even though we didn't get that, (laughs) I was kind of happy that we, one thing it specifically said that he was using a book that he loved to distract him from his anxiousness or his nervousness. And, uh, so I recently ish, not recently, uh, a year ago now, uh, September of 2019 broke my pelvis playing Quidditch. It was a whole thing. Uh, (laughs) and when that happened, I had a, um, like phone physical and mental therapy thing going on through a cool study that was happening uh, about traumatic injuries. And we got to talk about some of like the coping mechanisms that you have when you're in this weird situation. And the therapist I was working with 
one of the weeks, we talked all about distraction as a mental health care technique. And I was sort of surprised because I had been sitting there like, you know, I'm sad, I'm anxious, I'm sometimes hurting, and I just want to play video games all day. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I got into the like original MMORPG from when I was in middle school. I was playing EverQuest over and over and over oh. <laughs> uh, for hours. <laughs> and I was kind of feeling like it was the wrong thing. And then when, when I was told by a mental health person or whatever, like, <laughs> distraction is a valid technique, it really made me feel better. So I was happy to see Harry using this technique, um, even if he didn't have like the guidance or the, the support, he was finding his like way of coping um, with books, which is a nice one too. Mm-hmm. It's what's really interesting is I think this happens a lot with the mental health care in this series where it's never explicitly named. And here is Harry alleviating his anxiety with this thing, but um, it's it's woven in there very naturally, which is both really nice, but also kind of frustrating because it would mm-hmm. be nice to see like, hey, and by the way, this is a valid thing that you can do from, you know, a source. But I'm, I'm glad that he has that and that he gets to, excuse me, that he gets to continue using that throughout the series whenever he's reading his broomstick tailoring guide when Aunt Marge is there later on. And yeah, good for yeah. Harry. Yeah, and he did very explicitly, like it is laid out that he's reading this book and distracting himself in order to help himself get through this, which is like, it's actually acknowledging the fact that he is anxious and stuff, which we don't normally get like a clear acknowledgement of that. Normally, it's just Mm -hmm. like, you see him, like, nearly dying from a troll in the last chapter, I think. And then we just move on. Like, there's, there's nothing about being scared of it. There's nothing about being nervous. Like, it's kind of hinted at, like, obviously, like, everyone's freaked out because there's a troll there. But they're also just like, I don't know, trolls are stupid, huh? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, yeah, they're stupid, but, like, also they can kill you very quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it was nice to, like, get some actual verification that Harry does occasionally have anxiety in situations mm-hmm. that produce anxiety. Totally. And maybe I'm being a little harsh in demanding that any author say explicitly, and this is a metaphor for (laughs) this, but you know, that's just my residual bitterness about many things, Potter, I guess. (laughs) I feel like anytime I find anything remotely wrong that she she did, I'm just like, I'm going to point it out. (laughs) How dare you? Dare she not be perfect? (laughs) Or (laughs) I think it's just, cathartic to yeah talk about definitely. her not being perfect after mm-hmm. I don't know. idolizing somebody yeah it's hard to like appreciate something that someone's done without feeling like you're supporting the person who made mm-hmm. it yeah. totally which is weird when you're i'm sure you guys know how this feels weird when you're trying to promote your book based on it or yes mm-hmm. it's yeah. very weird mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a weird ethical question that you get into that you didn't ever think you'd be in. Right. But I I think that, you know, and, you know, like you said earlier, Anna, like there's bias because we're within the community, but I do think there is space to do, be involved in a fandom, even if the creator is a toot. um, Yeah. Put it mildly. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I, yeah. You just have to like navigate it. I get to like preachy sometimes about like the magic of the fandom, but this is the place where I think that 
we and everybody else we have created the true uh, mm-hmm. joy that Potter brings and especially yeah. going back and reading it and seeing like you said reading between the lines is often what brought us the most joy about our favorite characters yeah. and not actually what was written about them it's uh it's the fanfics it's not necessarily <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, and like, also you can like look at like with Quidditch where the people who haven't even read the books who enjoy it, and it's because fans built it into something different mm-hmm. and something really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you imagine how Quidditch would have worked if it hadn't been developed by fans, and what kind of if people were just trying to know. like exactly follow everything that J.K. wrote about it? It was like oh, Warner Brothers tried to put it together. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you would have it be like. Uh, gender inclusive and it would not be honestly you probably would like we were joking about it but it probably would be like oh girls can be chasers Mm -hmm. and the the you know the chasers can only tackle the other chaser like it would be a lot of that yeah 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 there'd be a guys team and then like the girls would have their little like intramural team on weekends Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's oh man it makes me want to shake my fist at the sky (laughs) Um, this darn hypothetical uh, right I guess in the books um, in the game that Harry played you know I guess the whole school pretty much just watched Harry almost get murdered in front of them Um, Mm -hmm. this is just another opportunity for a school counselor that is sorely missed and (laughs) while we do get to go and we like talk to Hagrid afterwards and have some tea and calm down tea, which is the number two prescribed (laughs) mental health medication in the Potter series besides chocolate. Um, Tea is great, but it's not a replacement for therapy. (laughs) No. Like how did Ron and Hermione feel like thinking one of their teachers just tried to kill their friend? Like, and then nobody listened to them too with that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. I wish that we had, gotten to know and it makes it makes me really want to read a fan fiction about this moment to see if anybody has effectively helped them process this in a better way i feel like if everything was processed in a better way it'd be a much shorter book (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't be books be hard to get to some of these places if harry wasn't running around getting traumatized Mm -hmm. (laughs) very true book five would be just like much happier and much (laughs) shorter (laughs) okay um, I like Rebecca, you pointed out like the happy yay for supportive friends. Yes. <laughs> I love that like okay, so Harry's joining as like a first year. And if this had happened like in American school, like a freshman got on the team that freshmen aren't supposed to get on or something, everyone would hate that kid. Like just to be real. Like normally the younger kids who got a lucky break are not supported as much. Yeah, as people who have been on teams longer, there's a lot of like elitism in things like that. So I like that all of his friends got together and they all like contributed to this banner. Mm-hmm. Like they used Ron sheets, and then Dean drew the picture on it, and then Hermione like put a charm on it, and they all just like got together and they supported him. And I'm just like still very happy for him to even be able to make friends after being Aww. like. <sighs> I've said it before, but like just in a realistic world, if a kid had been emotionally neglected for the amount of time that he was neglected as a child, he would not be able to make friends this quickly, which is very, very sad. Um, 
so it is something that I'm kind of happy to see depart from reality a little bit. It's just that mm-hmm. he had and it this even, good it even had it said that he felt braver. Like he yeah, looked up yeah. at that sign and he felt braver, which is cute. Exactly. I just it was very nice. And mm-hmm. it's nice that he got to see it and especially after like getting all of this background of him like not being able to eat and not being able to focus and all that to have him just like walk out and feel a little brave about something which is very sweet and cute and pure and good this group ensemble like fantasy of amazing friends is definitely something to escape into in this chapter so sweet so i know that like drinking tea is not a replacement for therapy (laughs) sure um but i really love tea so (laughs) i do like that if we're not going to transition from this trauma by actually addressing it, I like that we are brought into a setting where he does some grounding work and mm-hmm. he's able to assess what happened and talk about what happened with somebody and get a warm drink, which is good for um, adrenaline levels, which cause physical anxiety problems. Um, water and warm drinks are both very good for calming down physical anxiety symptoms. So I think for not having a therapist, not having a counselor or whatever, it was it was as good as we were going to get, I think. Sure. Um, so I do appreciate the effort in, in giving him a safe space to go to afterwards. I do appreciate that. Into the pensive, here we will reflect on what this chapter means to us and how we can move forward from it. Uh, Anna, you want to start us off? Yeah, well, I liked, um, you know, I haven't been super following along and reading the rest of the book. So just looking at this chapter by itself was really fun to just be like, wow, like this is where it all started. Like ground zero of this Quidditch community, which recently turned 15 years old. Um, wow. We just had we just celebrated the 15th anniversary of Quidditch uh, from when the day that they started, they called a bunch of people onto a field at Middlebury College in Vermont and were like, hey, you want to try to play Quidditch? <laughs> um, definitely using that voice. For sure. <laughs> so, so it was kind of just a really cool. I was like, wow, like, look at how it's grown. Look at uh, look at where we are. The fact that we're alive. <laughs> um, so that was cool. And really, like, also, not that not that this particular person deserves it, but holy crap, author goals. Um, <laughs> right. Like, to just have, like, fans that are so dedicated and so amazing and so creative and so passionate and compassionate to make a sport like this is so cool. Um, and it, so it is funny to see, like, where it started and how it grew so far beyond that. Um, and then also it just kind of made me remember that like, sometimes I get stressed out about the fact that I wrote a book based on a, an intellectual property that is torpedoing its goodwill, like it's, it's legacy. Um, and I get stressed out about that, but like, you know, I was able to read this and sort of recognize little glimmers of Quidditch, but also be like, obviously this is not the same as the thing I'm writing about in This Is How We Fly, because it's a totally different you know, if this is a fantasy novel and the actual community that I belong to is a real community that grows and evolves and changes and makes new rules and, um, you know, decides that we're going to 
be different. And, you know, the sport, the chapter can't do that. Um, the work, the, the series can't evolve, but we can evolve beyond it. And we can, you know, while still acknowledging that we come from a silly place, we can become a much better sport. I, I love that. And it speaks to where I'm feeling with mine, where, you know, it feels very um, relevant to like everyday life when you're like an active person and you're involved in sports or athletics because mm-hmm. there's a lot of toxic culture involved in, oh, yeah. in that. So it makes me want to be especially mindful about how I am living that part of my life. And in a fandom perspective, I think that one of the best ways to like move forward is honestly to read books like This Is How We Fly, which um, really weave together so many wonderful things about um, Quidditch and like, you know, the fun of playing a game with fun people and the growth that you can experience while you're playing a sport. Um, But without the like toxic grossness that, you know, JK Rowling has. So Becca, what about you? So I'm going to just ditto the toxic grossness being (laughs) the worst part of this because there's so many like good memories that I have with um, like I just remember like reading the chapters about Quidditch and I remember like listening to the audiobooks with the chapters of Quidditch and it was just the most like it was the time in the books I felt the most like inside of the book was mm-hmm. it it was just such a like creative thing that was made to like not just like make like a fantasy world which I mean, it's been done a million different ways, but it has been done a million different times. Um, but the fact that she came up with this whole, like, sport and this whole, like, community was built from that is so cool. And then it just makes me think that I really wish that somebody else did it. Um, <laughs> but now other people are making things like that, and that's super cool, and it makes me happy because I can kind of, like, it's just a really nice way to stay connected to something that I really enjoy is by finding... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it made by different people <laughs> and there's a lot of new books that are about like magical people with more oh, representation Blaze Wrath games Blaze Wrath games the like dragon riding world cup mm-hmm. just came out yes there's um, that one out about some magical sport Wampus is super good it's like a younger written book about these kids learning about magic and there's an intersex witch who's like dispo- like exploring what it means that like Cool. Magic is usually passed down from like mother to daughter, and she's just like, "What if I'm not magic?" Because like I'm not indifferent stuff. It's so cool and so good, and there's all these different ways that I can reconnect to like magical worlds without mm. it being yeah. tied to somebody who is like actively hurting people that I love. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yep. yeah, it's just it reminded me of new things that I can connect to. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, and if y'all want to read an amazing book like this um this is how we fly it goes on it becomes available on december 15th yeah um we've got some cool pre-order swag if you you like quidditch headbands that you can really use in quidditch games or cool fandom bookmarks that are i picked all the fandoms but harry potter (laughs) uh or some stickers like you know check out the pre-order campaign it's on my twitter and my website Yes, we will definitely link that and retweet so everybody can see it. And 
make sure that you read the book so that you can join in in our book club in January when we talk about this. So, Also, pre-ordering is super great for small bookstores, so pre-orders are awesome. Yes. Well, yeah, Anna, thank you so much for, this has been so much fun. I, I know you have to get going, but it's been no, yeah. a joy to have you on and talk Thanks about the so books. Thanks so much for having me. This is really cool. I love the, you know, how you're going through it with this very critical eye, but also um, bringing some, of, finding some of the joy, eking out some of the joy that's left. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Squeezing it. <laughs> yeah. Wringing it out. Um, um, it's really nice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. You can join us next week to discuss Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, we are Beyond the Veil Pod, and on Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. Like, wait, have you tried Omegoji? I have not, but that sounds oh, amazing. No. Okay, it's a food truck in Houston. Mm, it's okay. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> And then he gets traumatized again, but you know. <laughs> you know. Like you do. Gotta have more of those adventures. They don't stop coming and they don't stop coming and they don't stop coming. <laughs> <laughs>